Hello and welcome to Out and About in Malovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Balfour. As part of my job as Member of the Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Malovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm interested to be talking to James Morris from William Purvis Undertakers. James, death is something that people still don't like to talk about. They, they find it a difficult subject. Um, as someone who's been involved in this business for, for many years, can you demystify it slightly? What happens you know, once you're called? You know, what's the process? Um, no, you're absolutely right, and I I'm, I'm very much want to demystify it because one of the most difficult things we find is when we're sat with people and they've got no thoughts, there's been no conversations, you've got no idea at all. Um, it, in very simple terms, we look after two very broad areas. Um, when somebody dies, there's the immediate question of what do we do um, with the body, um, with the remains of the person who's died, um, and that will depend a lot on where they are. So our first and primary concern is just taking care of the deceased person um, in as dignified and as expedient a way as we possibly can, um, bearing very much in mind what the family want. Um, So we look after that, and then when the family is ready, we'll sit down with them and just quietly work through what they want for the funeral. Um, And the way that we work is very much, what do you want? Um, A lot of people... Uh, I, I talk about a, a helpful friend syndrome, people who give helpful information that's not actually correct. Um, so we would recommend that they come and speak to ourselves as soon as they can, and we will just talk them through all the options, um, that it's very much what they want. And I suppose that maybe been a change in the last time that you've been working, perhaps people, it was much more standard funeral yeah. 30, 40 years ago in Edinburgh, Scotland. Yeah. But, but now there are options. I mean, what, what are some of the options you can have yeah. rather than just going for a traditional maybe church service? Yeah. Um, well, I've, I've been in the business now 30 years. Um, Jeremy, I can't believe it's 30 years, but it is. Um, and there have. There have been huge changes in that time, uh, almost unrecognisable in lots of ways. We're a very traditional industry, so a lot of what we do is, is determined by tradition. Um, and when I was first in, in this um, industry... There was this lovely Edinburgh thing, you know, what does one do? <laughs> You'll have heard that in different um, other settings. Uh, and people very much, it was very much a formula. Um, church service uh, with the Church of Scotland, local parish minister, a couple of hymns, a prayer, um, and then either to the cemetery or the crematorium. Um, nowadays, that is really the exception rather than the rule. There'll be an the majority of the funerals are based around a service at the crematorium, uh, but not necessarily. Um, and what we'll, you'll tend to find is that people, and this is a good thing, people are much freer to uh, be involved in the service, whether that's suggesting music, whether that's being involved in doing um, like a eulogy or a, a, a tribute to the person's life, whether it be um, doing things a little bit different, um, that be sort of a choice of a venue. You know, we've even done funerals on the beach, um, you know, people's homes. You really, there's not... 
often say the limit is your imagination. Um, and we always say to people, if it's legal and decent, we'll facilitate that for you. And there's not many things that are not. Um, a lot of funerals now are maybe sort of semi-religious. So by that I'll mean now, there may be a prayer and a Bible reading or a hymn, um, but predominantly the service is about the person. Um, and that's good. And that people are more involved and are given more choices and taken more involvement. That is a really positive thing. Obviously, you're dealing with people at the most vulnerable often, certainly at a time when it's very difficult in my life. Um, and obviously, the grieving process can last for weeks, months, and often for years. But how often do people express that grief at the stage that you're dealing with them? Or is it too early when you're dealing with them? Quite often it is. It is quite often too early. Um, that will depend very much on the circumstance, um, particularly whether it's an expected or a, your sudden unexpected death. Um, you're a lot of a lot of the people we deal with. Um, thankfully, it's really a, a celebration of Thanksgiving for a long life well lived. Um, so there's a lot of um, relief actually involved. Um, you know. For example, your granny's been in the nursing home and for the last year we're not even sure if she's known who we are. Um, so the grief is different in that circumstance to your tragic sudden young death of a child or a, a young person or a young parent or a, your partner or uh, where, where the whole process is very different. But it, it, usually the grieving process, it does take time. Um, it's different and it's unique for everyone. But quite often, there's still a lot of, I suppose, adrenaline um, involved and shock. Even And even for an expected death, there is still an element of shock. And part of our um, challenge and skill is to actually help people to find out what they actually want and what's right. Um, letting them know all the options that are appropriate. Um, and just guiding them to something that's appropriate both for the person who has died and the memory of the person who's died, but particularly for those who are left behind. And, and there can be a complex combination. You know, for example, somebody might have been very committed um, to their church themselves, but the family don't follow in that, those footsteps, and it's honouring both of those and, and finding the right balance. Um, but, but thankfully, the, the possibilities now compared to 30 years ago, are just so much better. And it's, it, yeah, it, it's better industry to be in now than it was. So I expect, you know, many people who are doing their final year exams or come through college, university, you don't sit down and think, funeral director, well, that's a job for me. So how did you end up here? And would you recommend it for other people to do? Um, I'll ask, answer the second part first. Absolutely, I'd recommend it. Um, the fact that I've been doing it for 30 years... Um, and I, it seems a strange thing to say, but I absolutely love my job because what we're doing is we're genuinely helping people at a time of need um, and they need us and rely on us heavily and are very grateful. So it's, it's hugely rewarding. There are times where it is very challenging, there's no question. Um, we see some horrendous tragedies and you know, we have to deal with that ourselves, but that is the exception. Um, and it's just a privilege to help people at a time of need. 
I think apart from people who are within a family business, if someone grows up wanting to be a funeral director, I don't know that's a terribly <laughs> healthy thing. Um, nearly all of us in the business here have sort of fallen into it in one way or another. Um, and you know, personally, you probably picked by my accent, I'm not born in the Lothians. I'm actually a Kiwi, uh, born in New Zealand, married a Pfeiffer and settled here in Edinburgh. Um, and just arrived here, um, actually showing my age, arrived here the week of Black Wednesday, back in 1992. Um, and you know, there's a lot of um, redundancy, a lot of difficulty finding work. Met John Purvis socially um, at, uh, at a church barbecue, as it happens. We got talking and he suggested to me, would I like to come and work in this industry? And at that stage, I'd never actually even seen a dead body, um, but came into the end to become a funeral director. And that was 30 years ago. And as you say, it, you know, <coughs> probably most of us don't go up in a family, but Purvis is, is a family business. Still family-owned, still members of the family, um, immediate fifth generation of William Purvis who established the business. Um, then there's sort of cousins, second cousins as well. Um, but based here in Edinburgh, we do have offices right up the east coast of north um, of Scotland and into the northeast of England. Um, so we've got a staff of, what's well, over 100 now. Um, and so the family members are very much the minority, um, but it is family-owned and run here. How do you think, I mean, you've talked about the changes you've seen in 30 years. If I could give you a kind of looking forward, mm -hmm. clearly people are still going to continue to die. They'll require services of people like yourself. But do you think funerals will continue to develop and change, evolve? Or do you think we've reached a stage now where it looks like it'll be the same going forward? I would be very surprised if in 30 years it doesn't look very different again. Um, I think one of the biggest changes will be um, you're putting on an environmental hat. You wonder how long cremation is going to be an acceptable um, option, really, when you think about the emissions um, from cremation. And there are one or two more ecologically friendly options that are, that are being developed. I would be very surprised if that's not something we say we see. Um, one of the things that we've seen a huge increase in here in our Edinburgh office particularly is use of woodland burials. Um, there's a beautiful woodland burial site down at the Binning Wood just near North Berwick um, where you're actually buried in amongst established woodland and it's beautiful. Um, the other thing that we're starting to see is um, that people are a little bit more creative with the, the sort of the the service is maybe not even the best word, the celebration. Um, so being quite creative in what that looks like, the elements of that, your know, things like technology with music and videos and photo tributes and all of that kind of thing. Um, and then the actual um, process of usually cremation um, is taking on a lot smaller part. And so quite often we'll maybe go to a venue um, have the celebration of life and just quietly the, the deceased's remains will be cremated and we'll do something again, maybe quite creative with the ashes. 
And there was only two things certain in life, and that's taxes and death, so you yeah. tell me. Um, for people who are preparing, who are still alive, but thinking, how do I leave it easiest for my family to deal with it when I do pass? What, what advice do you give this side of death? Yeah, that, that's a very good question and a very easy one to answer. Um, and and it, in, in very simple terms, talk about it. Absolutely, that is the main thing is speak to somebody and give them even just a general idea of the wishes. Um, so you have somebody, if I meet with somebody and, and you know, their partner has said, maybe over a Sunday dinner, you know, I love that woodland burial site, that's where I want to go. That actually is hugely helpful. Um, there are other people who go right down, and I suppose it's an occupational hazard. I've got it all written down. <laughs> you know, I've chosen my homes, I've chosen where, the type of coffin, absolutely everything. That will be helpful. Um, both, it saves a lot of decisions. <coughs> Excuse me. But it also, um, it means that my family know that they're doing what I would have wanted. Uh, that's not necessary to that level, but any level at all of, of guidance, of help, where they'd like, what you even just the tenor of it. Do you want a celebration? Do you want something very informal? Do you want contemporary? Do you want traditional? Um, those conversations, as I say, even if in a very informal setting, are hugely, hugely helpful. Right through to writing it all down, and people even prearrange it, prepay it, and everything in advance. But at least have had that conversation is the most important thing. I, I would like to finish by my question. I mean, it's a strange one for this type of industry business, if that it's a, a magic wand, what, what would make your job or the job of the people that you're trying to look after and serve easier? Yeah. Am I allowed three points on that? Yes, on you go, yes. <laughs> um, the first is what we just talked about, is that they've that, that people talk about their death, talk about what they want, and, and, and give some idea of what they would want. Um, the second is... Um, there are things that are, make it more difficult for families uh, around bureaucracy, um, and a lot of that I think is probably because of funding. Things like the registration process has got very slow because they're under-resourced. Um, the fiscal service, if it is a sudden and unexplained death and has to go through the fiscal, again seems to be poorly resourced at the moment, and it's taken a long time. And long delays can be very difficult for families. So anything that removes those delays. And then the third and final one is just around the finance side of it. Um, you know, we are all going to have to have a funeral at some point. Um, and it's probably not high on our priority list to make um, your provision for it. But if there was some way that we could have some kind of incentivized, like they do with pensions, um, that people could put away some money towards their funeral to, to you know, remove that burden on those who are left behind. That, that's my, my three wishes, if, if you like. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was great to hear from James. It's been interesting to hear about the important work undertakers do, and I thank him for his time. We'll put a link to their website in the show notes, and you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About in Malovians, and I look forward to catching up next time.